He may not drink the Guinness, but the veil he will definitely hate. Welcome to the Wizards of Dribble podcast, episode number 278. Woo! Stoke, what a concept. Right, um, in a, what has been a quite mild week for Stoke, we have uh, a brand new manager and an away win at Blackburn Rovers to discuss. Oh, goodness gracious me. At the end of the podcast, you may hear a chat I had with Sunderland fan Alex Melenthin about our new boss. But I guess we should talk about our experience at Ewood Park, Tom, because um, I'm slightly hungover. I have a I have tape around my right index finger because I sprained it in um, in fury at Dimaggio Wright Phillips. But we got a bloody good win and it was just one of the most fun away games I've been to in quite some time. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, it was very, very, very fun. Um, and yeah, thank you, Blackburn, because I had a relatively similar sort of quite carefree fun away day there last year. Um, it's just nice to see us win and nice to see what squad we have. I think I think that's something we should all be really excited about. I hope Alex Neal's really excited about. Just uh, just nice to be reminded how solid a bunch of lads we have. Like, um, and in a really lovely way, I hope that they did that for Holden, which I'm very certain they did. And I hope they did it for Mon a little bit as well. Um just a bit of a wholesome day, really, in terms of, you know, people knowing that Holden especially. I think I just, I can't get words enough for him to, say what a nice bloke he's been. He's worked his arse off for us for a while and I hope he goes on to much bigger and better things than our horrible little football club at times. But nice for him to be sent out on that note. Nice for sort of the players to live up to, I think, what they've wanted to live up to for a while. Uh, especially a lot of players who I guess are coming in and playing for their for their sort of futures, saying, "Look, I'm I'm worthy of a shot." And I think to a man, eleven players there did exactly what we'd want them all to do, um, and you know were willing to throw themselves on the line for seventy minutes to make sure that we ended up winning a game of football. And that was, yeah, it's nice to see. Yeah, absolutely, and. You talk about sort of the, the the players like individually. You thought we were absolutely fantastic. Uh, there's so many players we could have given a shout to with regards to some other match. I, was, I, I think it's fair that we start with someone who we've been very very critical of uh, at the start of his Stoke career. Aidan Flint looked imperious at times. He was absolutely marvelous. And uh, dare I suggest, shoot me down, Tom. Dare I suggest that a move to four at the back helped him and helped Stoke hold on for a clean sheet. Yeah, big old slice of humble pie for some of us, I think, who have perhaps been suggesting that problems with 3-5-2 were not necessarily the problems in the squad, but I do think on a whole, the players looked a bit more comfortable. Um, Taylor, I thought, was again just... The the little centre back factory that we have is incredible, and Taylor looked so comfortable at left centre back, um, way more comfortable than Wilmot has looked at on the left of a back three. Um, Wilmot again, I thought was pretty solid at right back as he often is. Um, and Morgan Fox, you know, I, I'd written his Stoke career off um, almost entirely, but 
if he is going to play sort of second fiddle to Josh Timon in a back four for the rest of the season, I am more than happy with that. He um, probably put in arguably his best performance for Stoke. And yeah, Flint was imperious from set pieces, which we faced a lot of just, I think to, to, to have come from Millwall less than a month ago, where every time they got a corner, I was stood in the away end, like, just certain that this was going to be the end to here where when they had corners and free kicks in wide positions where they were going to be crossing in, I felt fairly confident that Stokehead was going to appear and, and win the header. And I think pretty much every single time did any chances that Blackburn had from those positions came from like the breakdown of play post um, a clearance, which was, yeah, it was great to see. Um uh, yeah, and, and Jack Bonham actually was, whilst he didn't have too much to do because thankfully Blackburn's shooting boots were left at home, um, I thought he seemed to command the box well. He seemed to be quite happy to tell players that they should have got rid of the ball or they shouldn't have got rid of the ball, things like that um, earlier. And everyone just seemed confident in themselves, which is bizarre considering where we are as a team and we spent the the latter 70 minutes of the match just on the back foot without really much possession and often just facing off a sort of onslaught of, of chances from Blackburn. So positive signs from everyone and a, a back four seemed make them seem to make the players way more comfortable. Yeah. So um, how would you rate our play going forward then? Um, it was a bit of a sort of parallel game to the Sunderland in some respects in that we were largely on top for most of the first half and then were under the cosh for the second half, uh, yet we got the crucial goal, which came from a bit of a pot shot from Lewis Baker, but if there's anyone you want to have a pot shot from distance, it is Lewis Baker because he's just magic at them. Um, but we had a, a front three uh, with Delap down the middle, Brown on the right and Dwight Gale on the left. I thought Dwight Gale had a really sort of great grafty performance uh, on that left-hand side. He was dropping back a lot, connecting the play, um, really intelligent play at times as well. And um, I'm just absolutely gutted he's not scored yet because he's doing everything but uh, get a non-offside goal for us. Uh, but what did you think of the front three of the sort of 4-3-3 three, three we were playing? Uh, I thought the Gale... I, I, I hate that I did this, but Gail scored and I immediately pivoted and looked straight at the linesman and was like, oh, Same. not again. Um, he'll get there eventually. And yeah, totally a, a, a grafty performance from him considering he's 33. And I know he has played elsewhere from a central striker role at times in his career, but to do that at 33 and to really work his nads off most of the time, there were times where he didn't drop back, but that seems more of a tactical decision on the, on the point of, yeah, let's not just leave a certain someone who I think we need to have a proper discussion about because bloody fucking hell. Um, but yeah, on a whole, I thought Ty looked really good as well when he came on mm. off the bench. He looked a lot more back to himself where he was getting the ball in a 1v1 with the fullback and he was thinking, all right then, yeah, what, what are you going to do? Stop me, <laughs> behave. Um, and especially one moment, the, the counter-attack that we had that, hasn't surfaced on any of the highlights, annoyingly, mm. um, where he picks up the ball, what, 10, 15 yards away from our area, darts into the middle of the pitch, charges forward 65 yards with it, plays DiMaggio in with a beautiful, beautiful pass, and then DiMaggio 
decided to cut it back instead of shooting, which was, you know, annoying at the time. And then also DiMaggio made a defensive error and I thought Aidan Flint was going to actually eat his head off, which was a bit scary. Um, but the, the front three were great. And I, I think uh, the standout was Liam Delap. Um, if you haven't seen Liam Delap play for us yet, uh, that was my first experience of seeing Delap play for us because I didn't go to the Sunderland game and I couldn't watch it. Um, wow. Uh, he is like a little pocket rocket Harland. Um, he was against two big centre-backs who, yeah, might not be the most experienced people in the world, but he made them look like children um, who couldn't really get anywhere near him. He fends people off. He works his butt off. He is going to be one of the better signings we've ever made, I hope. Um, I spent, I got back into Manchester uh, from the game and walked from Victoria Station to where I live through the Northern Quarter and anyone in a city shirt I went over to and thanked for Liam Delap. Um, because he, considering he didn't score and he missed a chance late on, uh, sort of a diving header that that just seemed out of his reach. But what a performance and what a footballer I think we've got on our hands there. Absolutely. And also really just lovely to see him absolutely loving life at full time as well. Um, quite a few of them, to be fair, were just absolutely buzzing, as you would expect, because they'd clearly put in a huge, huge shift, all of them, even... Uh, Sam Klukas, who I slagged off on the uh, last pod. Um, but yeah, it just clearly meant a lot to him. But to see that kind of passion from a young player, I know he's obviously got connections to Stoke prior to this, but um, yeah, that that sort of uh, team spirit, which we, we knew they had team spirit. We knew they had put in effort without really the reward previously, but it's nice to see them get rewarded for that. Um, and... This may lead us... Oh, oh, sorry. On Tyrese Campbell. Really lovely to hear like proper loud choruses of a Tyrese Campbell chant at, at Stoke Games. Um, Obviously, I think during his sort of... um His purple patch was mainly in sort of lockdown season, wasn't it? But um yeah, just considering he's coming for some stick for some quarters um for, you know, not quite replicating that sort of pre-injury form. I thought it was really lovely how we were getting behind him, even though he was on the bench to start with, but really getting behind him when we came on. And uh, so in terms of away atmosphere in general as well, I know we didn't fill that allocation, but we thought that the crowd were really, really positive, really, really raucous. Not hard to be raucous, given that Ewood Park is a real morgue sometimes for atmospheres, drummer apart. But yeah, just a a cracking... uh, set of voices from the from the Stoke fans there which clearly helped in in some regard as well so yes just a really lovely lovely day team performance great atmosphere great uh result great and what a situation for the man who was appointed five minutes before we started record or officially announced rather five minutes before we started record Alex Neal so let's try and recap everything that happened since our last emergency podcast when O'Neill went. So when we recorded that emergency podcast, I think it was looking a bit daichi. Um, but it was the next day, certainly early morning the next day, that it seemed to be that Alex Neal was going to be the guy uh, to take us on. Now, obviously, we're not privy to a lot of stuff, but maybe the indication is Deitch didn't want to come. Probably sees himself in the Premier League. Maybe I think Chris Wilder was perhaps a non-starter with uh, Chris as well. So Alex Neal, then he was 
it was so funny because you're reading like like Pete Smith, who who we know and trust, and John Percy, who we kind of trust, because it's almost like Percy's the sort of the level before it's officially announced is John Percy says it, and then you sort of right, okay. Hour and a half before, yeah. Yeah, then we had the athletic Sunderland guy who didn't seem to I, I don't want to sort of be harsh at it by saying he didn't know what was going on, but... I don't think he did. No. <laughs> because it starts with the press conference, doesn't it? It starts with, he's got a 9am press conference, but it's been pushed back to 2pm, but we're told that that he will be doing it at 2pm. And then the next tweet he sort of put out about 15 minutes later was like, yeah, he has been linked with the Stoke job, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it was... Um, well, he can't be going to Stoke because he's here at the Academy of Light. Um, and then Thick Sky picked up footage of him in his car, like maybe saying goodbye to someone. And then and then pretty much all of yesterday, well, sort of maybe late afternoon evening onwards, it was kind of like, yeah, it's gonna he's gonna go to Stoke now. Prompting huge, huge despair on behalf of a lot of uh Mackhams. I know I <laughs> I, I spoke to uh, guys from a couple of Sunderland podcasts and they were like, I was like, would anyone like to come on and, and talk to us about Alex Neal? And they were like, nah, nah, sorry, mate, we're not doing it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a bit too raw. We're not really up for it. And he's done bloody well to get the amount of love in a very, very short space of time. So over to you, Tom. When you first heard about the Neil sort of, uh, link, if you like. Uh, what were your initial thoughts? Um, I don't know. I don't really like Alex Neal as a person. <laughs> uh, I feel as a manager, his teams have been a bit shithousey, but, you know, I, I'm I'm happy with him being our shithouse. That's fine. Um, <clears throat> but the more sort of it sunk in and the more we looked at it, I think it just seemed a really sensible appointment, I think, to reflect back on some of the things I said on that Thursday podcast about not wanting someone who isn't very confident in their own ideas, who isn't very experienced, feeling that that would be a problematic direction for us to go in. Um, he certainly isn't that. He's 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 bloody experienced. He's arguably one of the more experienced managers in the league, especially in terms of getting out of it and also getting promotion from League One with Sunderland, considering the the, the history of that club in that division. And yet, and yet a really young manager as well. Yeah, exactly. And he's still, I think he's still keen to learn. Um, and he's probably settled in a little bit more and I'm probably way more confident than I was on Thursday when I was just feeling a bit sorry for O'Neill um, that we're going to have someone who's coming in with fresh ideas and he does have ideas on how he wants the football to be played and, and how for us to do. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited in sense of it's a new thing and I always find new managers exciting. We might be playing some new tactics. That will be fun to see. Um, and I'm hopeful in the terms of that, given the time and given the situation that we're in, he is one of the right people to be given time and to push us forward and hopefully make us a better side without hopefully saying anything that's too expectation or could be clipped up as, oh, look at this. They thought they were going to go up. I, I'm, yeah, I'm just looking forward to us being a side with a bit more self-confidence. I think I mentioned to you yesterday that he has a long read on the coach's voice um, where he talks about the situation he came into at Norwich when they just got relegated under Lambert and were in the championship the next season and struggling to sort of stamp down on it like they expected they would do. And he sort of came in and he 
says things that that seem very similar to the situation that we're in now that he talks about how he was a good squad of players and a good group of players as well in terms of attitude and things like that but they maybe needed a bit of a a confidence rocket up their arse and be a bit more of an intensity rocket up their arse and he did those two things in and he doesn't seem to be the kind of person who will go in and fall out with players I don't really think that seems to have been his history at Sunderland or Preston or anything like that um but I, I read a lot of that and felt there was similar notes to the situation we're in so that again gives me hope that he's the right dude to push us forward and make us a better team yeah I uh, certainly agree that our experience of playing Sunderland and Preston over the last few years has indicated he very much uh, is a horrible, these teams are absolutely horrible to play against. Like I think his peak Preston team had black Ben Pearson in the middle, just kind of chopping people down. And um, certainly he's made quite a young team at Sunderland, very, very confident and certainly a lot more confident than they've looked in sort of the last two, three seasons in league one. Uh, so that's all, that's all very positives. Obviously this is Stoke, so nothing will ever be quite so simple, but uh, yeah, I think he'll get, he'll get time. He'll, He'll get money, question mark. Now, this leads me on to the sort of big question on the part of a lot of Stoke fans and indeed quite a lot of Sunderland fans as well is, and indeed the sort of out, outside perception of why the hell's he left Sunderland to come to us? Because as we know, Sunderland is a massive football in city. Um, Are they build boats. Yeah, exactly. Um, but... I think it is a fair legitimate question. Now, there's been sort of two schools of thought. One has been that Sunderland haven't backed him either through sort of the 12 month rolling contract thing, which maybe he insisted on. So I'm not sure about that or through sort of not really backing him in the transfer market as well. Alternatively, he's just come to Stoke because we've got money to give him and his bank account. Um, or is there another reason? Is there is there is it combination of two? Is it one of those? Is it something else entirely? Does he just like it in North Staffordshire? Tom, why has he come to us? I don't have a clue. I think we do have a reputation potentially that we are a very nice club to manage, uh, and that that has just gone not so well for the past three managers. Now, I maybe don't agree with that perception because we've seen the nitty gritty of this football club. Um, yeah, maybe we have some cash that we can actually start spending. Certainly not this season, but next season. I, I'm not a financial fair play expert, but I don't know. Perhaps the books are so well balanced that next season we will have a kitty. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of the stuff with Sunderland seems to be that he seems to have some issues with control over signings. I saw that tweet, Dave. Dave has just showed the the saltiest ever tweet from Newcastle. In fact, it's not even salty; it's it's gloaty. So um, I don't know if we all saw that a few days ago. Sunderland tweeted our gaffer with Alex Neal, which has been the specific selection of um, Stoke fans to take the mick out of. Newcastle have just done exactly the same thing with Eddie. Oh, <laughs> and now we have as well. <laughs> Oh, God, doing a podcast as things happen is fun. What a day for Twitter admins everywhere. <laughs> no bank holiday for Twitter admins. Yeah. Uh, speaking um, of Twitter, uh, sorry, just uh, cut you off there, but uh, I enjoyed, 
Well, I didn't enjoy it, but I was just pleased that Dean Holden was on Twitter because it meant that people got to sort of express sort of love and affection for him. Uh, and he clearly responded to that, which is lovely. Um, and also Josh Laurent uh, sort of cry laugh emojiing Lewis Baker kicking the ball away uh, as well, I think. But yeah, like little things like that just remind you that, oh, these these are nice bunch of lads. And uh, I, I hope Josh Laurent comes back very soon and him and Lewis Baker can start uh, bantering off championship midfields. Um, a very good bantering midfield, I think, in terms of both a, a good laugh, mm. which, uh, you know, I might have. You know, we've all seen the them them laughing at each other on the, mm-hmm. the, the the preseason video, and they also will kick people hard, which is nice sometimes. But I think he's O'Neill is uh, O'Neill. Oh, O'Neill! Oh, we've done I've, it. I've, we've done, I've done it. it. I've done it already. Happen. I've done it already. Oh, bloody Sam Sturridge! Um, <laughs> Charlie yeah. Adams. <laughs> I think Neil has potentially left Sunderland for some more control over transfers, which we will almost certainly give him which again not so it's the right idea not to be negative at a time when we should all be positive but you know um, and yeah I, I was reading some bits about how he's not very happy that they're well he doesn't necessarily feel that comfortable playing 3-5-2 so be happy about that Stoke fans and obviously they signed um, Elliot Sims who is currently was currently playing up front with Ross Stewart for them which I think perhaps is him having some issues with because he feels his hands have been tied and he's got these two very good strikers who he has to play every game. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think if a man's signing a 12-month contract, you've got to be expecting that the reason they're happy to do that is because they perhaps don't see the longest of term futures with you as a club. Um, and some Sunderland fans probably do need to get a bit of perspective. I, you are a bigger football club than us in the sense of the pull and who you are, but you've just spent what four seasons in League One purgatory. Um, ultimately, this season was only ever going to be trying to stay up, whereas we have done our championship purgatory and now are looking at potentially pushing up. And whether or not we could achieve that with Neil is, yeah, we'll, we'll see in the wash. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, people are allowed to leave jobs, it's the thing. Mm. Get over yourself, Sunderland. <laughs> Okay, uh, so we'll go to some Twitter questions. Uh, let's, oh, on a related topic, the neutral Stokey tweets, we've all been guilty of bashing our club, not us, not on this podcast, neutral Stokey, thank you very much, but I'm really surprised by the way we've been talked about, uh, been talked about during this by the media, anybody would have thought Neil is leaving Real Madrid to go and work at Kidderminster Harriers, what do you think? Yeah, is there maybe a sort of inherent sort of uh, snobbery, do you think? When people say he's leaving Sunderland to go to Stoke, do you think that's that's a thing that happens? Probably. Because we, we we're genuine. We well, it kind of is and isn't that for for my perspective anyway. Because it is a genuine surprise, but not because of like the big club versus little club thing. Like Sunderland are a bigger club than Bournemouth, but it wouldn't be surprised if you know, he went up a league. It's a surprise in the sense of he's kind of staying at the same level and kind of a job he's very recently started, like making what appears on paper to be a sideways move. So it's a surprise in that sense. But yeah, I do I do get where you're coming from. Um, 
And again, related, Martin Eagle says, why do the media hype up Sunderland so much? One of football's biggest myths, question mark. Ooh. I, uh, I mean, that's a big discussion and I don't want to stick my feet into those hot coals. But I think that 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 this isn't that out of common, but it necessarily doesn't always happen in this way. So mm. my brain is immediately twicked over to, you know, Steve Cooper left Swansea at the start of last year um, and there were some big questions over why he did that and now he didn't leave him to go to another club straight away but I'm fairly I think we're all fairly certain that he sort of had just seen he, he'd got Swansea to where he think he could got them or he thought that there'd be bigger and better things for him on the card soon so, so maybe that's sort of the same thinking as Neil has um, yeah, Sunderland are a big club because they come from a big place with one football club in it uh, and have a big history with the other big place with one football club in it. Mm. I, I, I don't really care. Media can talk about what they want. They they they, they create taking talking points to to talk about them. Yeah, it's not that important. Yeah, it, yeah, like it's, yeah, doesn't really matter at the end of the day, I suppose. Uh, Tom Snapper said, "When is Neil being announced?" He's already announced on. But yeah, fair enough. This tweet was a couple of hours ago. Thirty-four minutes uh, ago. Uh, Mark says, "Why do we play shit and win, but play well and lose? Uh, play shit and win hasn't happened all that often from memory. I mean, like as much as we were under the cosh yesterday, I don't think we played shit. It was just a good defensive display. Um, play well and lose. I mean, that's just Stoke. Stoke. It's just Stoke. <laughs> I think the answer is just Stoke." Uh, Steve H asks in all block caps, what is his favourite oat cake filling? Shortbread. Shortbread. An iron brew reduction. Shortbread with an iron brew reduction. Um, Tom, I would like you to explain how Neil plays football, please, so I can look smart on midweek podcasts. Uh, George, I'll explain how he plays to you uh, because I don't mind dropping your name. Um... I don't know necessarily because he's he's a bit you know he's he's independent of his own things but we will in theory press high but we probably won't counter press meaning we will engage a team high up the pitch but once they have broken through that initial press or we have initially won lost the ball we will drop back into a solid shape uh, whether that be a 4231 which is what he normally goes for or something else um more on this, hopefully, on Thursday. But I might have to watch him play some football games as Stoke manager first. Yeah. And speaking of the next game, home to Swansea City on Wednesday night. How many goals will Klukas score on Wednesday? And will it be more or fewer than Joe Allen? Uh, four. And he'll score four more than Joe Allen, who is still yet to win a game for Swansea. And I'm already seeing things from Swansea fans saying things along the line of insert X other midfielder. Oh, he just looks so isolated in midfield. But Joe Allen had a good game today. Wonder where the agenda never before. dies, does it? God, um, Tom, you, it's going to be hell for you if you lose and Allen plays well, isn't it? I'm watching good cricket. Fair enough. <laughs> Absolutely fair enough. Yes. So Swansea at home. Um, I've got a strange feeling that Sam Klukas has been brought back into the team purely to like build him up for this game. Get him some match practice. Match fitness. For that Swansea fixture, which we know he loves. And uh, yeah, then we've got, is it Reading on Sunday? Sunday, 12 o'clock, worst kickoff on earth. On Sky Sports. So that's exciting. 
but yeah, Tom Tom Ince's, well, yes, Tom Ince's and Paul Ince's tricky Royals have been uh, been doing rather well. So it's going to be interesting to see how we play against them. Um, is there anything else we'd like to talk about from either Blackburn, Alex Neal, Michael O'Neill, the general sort of giddy last few days, or the world of football? It's just, just nice, isn't it? Football is, the, the, to get existential about it, football hurts you for so long and then you have fleeting moments of joy and that's why we all like it. And we've had like three whole days of fleeting moments of joy. Um, so, God, it's just, how much nicer of weekends when we've won? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what else is good about Stoke at the moment. The fact that we've got, Tyrese Campbell. Tyrese Campbell. Tyrese got Tyrese Campbell. <laughs> and we've got in sync Zoom recordings as well. So uh, I think that's going to be it. <laughs> that's going to go great. Uh, that's <laughs> that's going to be it. Um, yes. Uh, hopefully at the end, like I said, we'll listen to Sunderland fan and uh, someone who uh, messaged me on Facebook the other day with, I hate your club so fucking much, but I hate my own more. Uh, Sunderland fan Alex Melanthin will hopefully uh, be able to give us uh, a bit of an insight into Mr Alex Neal, whom we all wish the very, very best. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Thank you, Dave. And thank you, Lewis Baker's right peg. Cheers, Lewis Baker's right peg. Cheers, Michael O'Neill. Cheers, Dean Holden. Go on, Stoke. Okay, so as promised, here are Alex's thoughts on Alex Neal. I started by asking that Neal leaving Sunderland for Stoke has astonished fans of both clubs. Is this kind of classic football betrayal or are there real motivating factors for Alex Neal to have left Sunderland? In terms of the um, football betrayal, um, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I think a lot of fans feel hard done by um, by Alex Neal's decision to leave the club when we're in the sort of upwards trajectory that we're on um, were there motivating factors behind it? Possibly um, I mean it's cited that he feels like he wasn't backed by the board which as we stand you know fifth in terms of uh, money spent is hard to believe at best Um I felt like he got the club, which I think is the most frustrating part as a fan. I feel like he understood what we'd been through and it felt like us as a club and he as a manager, both stocks would go higher the longer we were together. Um, Obviously, he has had some disagreements with the board by the sounds of it. Obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but that's that's a case as it it seems to be. and I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm absolutely gutted. Um, yeah. He's been described by a lot of Mackhams as your best manager in years. Is that solely down to the promotion or is there anything else he's brought to the club? I think it's absolutely right that he's been described as the best Sunderland manager in years. Um, albeit, it's a fairly low bar, if I'm being honest. Um, I think... Pretty much since, I suppose, Sam Allardyce would be our last real manager that everyone seemed to get behind. Um, then came, obviously, the, the sort of turmoil of D 
David Moyes. Um, and I feel like you don't have to be a Sunderland fan to realise how much he screwed us over, I suppose. You know, almost accepting relegation two games into the season, um, signing players for way bigger fees, way bigger wages than we could pay and that were sort of relative to the club at the time. You know, signing jobs for the lads like Stephen Pienaar, Julian Lescott, um, and, you know, that then obviously well categorised on... And well documented, sorry, on um, Sunderland Till I Die. Simon Grayson comes in, pretty shambolic. I think it's probably the only um, word you can use for that. Um, everyone seemed unmotivated. Chris Coleman comes in, you know, back off a fantastic year with Wales. Um, and again, just a lack of inspiration, whether it was the funds, whether that was, you know, the, the the shambles of the club at the time so we slipped again down um to to obviously league one um appointed jack ross fantastic young up-and-coming manager um i think a lot of fans got behind him quite quickly and um, we started off the season really really well playing some lovely football attacking football um and then <clears throat> it almost seemed to get about I want to say about two thirds of the way through the season, and it was almost as though someone had um, instructed him overnight to change the way he played, um, and rather than the sort of going for the kill, going for the win that we were used to, it just disintegrated and it turned into um, well, we became known as a sort of draw FC, if you will, um, and obviously failed to win at Wembley. And stayed in the league in the another year. Um, he started the next season, didn't start great, got sacked, replaced by dinosaur Phil Parkinson. Atrocious appointment. Um, but obviously you're here to hear about Alex Neil. Um, and I think that was the signing. Um, that kind of post Lee Johnson, I think he polarized the the fans very much. So in terms of the way he spoke after games, I think we played some quite nice football. To be fair. Um, I was surprised at the timing of it. Um, obviously, it sort of worked out in the end because he ended up being um, fired and Alex Neal appointed and we got promoted. Do I think it was just down at the promotion? No. Um, I think we probably had the most competitive League One season for uh, forever, to be fair. Um, he, he won some... Um, an extraordinary amount of games um, and we went on this incredible run that kind of 99 times out of 100 ends up being automatic promotion um, and obviously because the league was so competitive you had um, just teams at the top winning and winning and winning um, and, and we just seemed to not able not be able to catch them at all Um and and that sort of, sort of resulted in the the sort of playoffs. Um, as a Sunderland fan, obviously no hope whatsoever um, of a playoff because that's just how how the world works. Um, breeze through the final, unbelievably. Uh, I, you know, I was sat at Wembley. Um, in in aside from a sort of five minute spell in the, at the start of the second half, 
and one mistake from Bailey Wright. There was there was nothing from Wickham. Um and, and we sort of we won that quite comfortably. Um and that was down to him, I think. The team we had to like put together, incredible, but I think that was down to him as well. Um and I think yeah, it's it's not just the promotion because the way we started this season, you know, I think <laughs> you'd be hard pressed to find a Sunderland fan who wouldn't want a few more players, especially with Dan Ballard's injury, um, and yet we've managed to you know pick up quite a few points, um, and ensure the league that actually went we're not pushovers. You know, we went out with ten men, Sheffield United away. Obviously, you know, um, me and you, Dave, were were there. Um, and I expected us, you know, Sunderland of old, roll over completely 5-0. We didn't. In fact, actually, we put up quite a, a hell of a fight. Um, and it's the sort of team that I felt proud of. And, and that's not something I've felt in quite a few years. Um, and then obviously speaking after the game, I said, that's the sort of manager you need at Stoke. Um, now, when I said in the future, I didn't mean sort of, Seven days later, or whatever it was, but and and yet here we are. Um, I think for for Stoke fans who are against the appointment, or maybe think you're better than him. Believe me, a, a year or a year and a half under Alex Neil, you will be right up there, and you will feel like your club has changed. Um, oh, that's that's certainly how it's felt anyway. How would you characterize an Alex Neil team on the pitch? I think on the pitch there's been a massive um, change from the previous manager. I think Lee Johnson was very much a case of um, we will absolutely be sort of um, hell-bent on playing out from the back and playing lovely tippy-tappy football. And, you know, that's that's what every 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 fan of their team wants to see. Um, <clears throat> I think the massive issue comes when you get pumped 5 one, four nil, six nil away at you know, Bolton, Portsmouth, Rotherham, who were not who were not bad teams, but for where we were, you know, pushing towards the top three, results like that suggested to me that there was no sort of plan B. Um, you know, the fact that since Alex Neal was officially appointed as Sunderland manager in the league we've lost I might be wrong here, but two games we've lost. MK Dons at home, um, where obviously when Conor Wickham lines up against you, you know there's going to be a goal there. Um, two horrendous balls off the top that basically breaks apart and, and lead us to a loss. Um, and Sheffield United last week, which as I've just touched on, we were down 10 men for an hour of it um, against a team who were currently at the time of sort of speaking top of the league um everyone expects them to be top six they seem really well organized um and obviously going down to 10 men away at bramble lane for an hour was always going to be an uphill uphill task i think that game and obviously again dave i know you were there that team's what an alex neil team looks like um, I think we are used to, as Sunderland fans, of seeing teams just sort of, oh, we're 1-0 down, oh, we've got a red card, let's just roll over. Um, and that sort of Bramall Lane performance, um, 
I think I think I said after the game actually it, it's almost better than a point better than a point where it goes in off you know your arse and you sort of celebrate in the last minute goal that you don't deserve we went away going it's not actually in this league if we keep this team a few additions there's no reason we can't shoot up the league and that's really exciting given where we've been and blah 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 um, he will make you defensively sounder it might take a while make him defensively sounder he'll make your teams line up in a way that's um sort of gets out your your best uh, the best of your players I suppose and obviously in abundance in you know up front you've got uh, um Tyrese you've got Dwight Gale you've got um sort of lots of players to come into that role you know um and I think that's really exciting as a Stoke fan um you know, you've seen what you may have seen what he's done with Ross Stewart and Ella Sims. You know, Ross Stewart, we we spent money on, and he was playing left wing for Ross County, barely scoring a goal, and now he he has it, he has it all. Um, I'll be I'll be actually quite surprised if he don't come in for him before the transfer window finishes. Which again, it doesn't bear thinking about as a Sunderland fan because we would be absolutely screwed. Um. I think he's a really intelligent footballer, and he's got he's got the best out of the players out of there. Um, I'm not going to say you you know you're going to turn the sort of Barcelona overnight, um, but, but I think he's got a really good way of just simplifying everything down into a way that your players are effective, and you will you you will produce results. You'll still fantastically if if anything I think you'll shoot up the league, um. And like I said, that that's probably one of the most gutting things from all of this. What are his main weaknesses as a manager? I'll be honest. Um, sort of over over the time that he's been appointed as manager, he's shown seemingly no weaknesses, which I know I know is quite a baffling thing to say. But I think the almost um, the overriding feeling among Sunderland fans, and obviously going through Twitter today, has been horrendous because it's basically. Full of Sunderland fans going, what on earth is going on? I don't understand. It's the best manager we've had for years. Even Sal Aldice, you know, obviously the the dinosaur tag and the oh, only long ball football, blah, 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 had been levelled at him. But for Alex Neal, it's, it's lovely football, but it's also effective football. It's not it's not passing for passing sake. It's passing, um, you know, to create channels to run into. It's um, stifling the opposition. It's creating... As many chances as possible, it's stifling the amount of chances the opposition can create. Um, I think weaknesses wise, there's n- there's not much. Although, what I will say is he's very honest, and I think that uh, I mean has, in hindsight, escalated into this whole move because he told you know the reporters a few weeks ago when Dan Ballard got injured, he said um, you know when the reporters asked. Are you going to bring anyone more in? Is there anything transfer wise happening? And he said, um, I, I don't think I can knock on the door anymore to ask for transfers. If anything, it'll break the wall, break the door down. Um, I've asked that many times, and I think that's that's the sort of thing he he's very clever in terms of you know his football tactics, is the way he sets up his team, the results he produces, but also you've got that. 
very media savvy bloke who sits and goes, actually, I can challenge the board here. I can challenge what's going on here. Um, and no disrespect to Stoke whatsoever. Obviously, I know this is going to be going out to all of you Stoke fans, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was a case of, um, you know, Christian Speakman, our sporting director, going up to Alex Neal and going, oh, Stoke have come in for an offer here. Um, and him going, yeah, great, I'll talk. To get that contract renegotiation, and I've seen it on your um, Twitter feed, actually, um, you know, saying, well, go on then, offer me a new contract, offer me more players, you know, give me some more money to see what you can do. Um, and if anything, I think that's that's the board trying to play his hand, saying, nah, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't leave what the project you've got here. And we're at the stage now where he's gone, right, well, see you later then. Um, and I think that's quite a, it's a frustrating middle ground as a fan. Um, because obviously you don't want to be held to ransom by anyone. But at the same time, when you've literally got the most effective and best manager we've had for years. Um, you know, Tom White was on um, Rugger Report just last week, sort of saying, as long as Alex Neal's at the helm, I will agree with his his thoughts and his decisions because it's Alex Neal. Does he get it wrong? Sometimes. But I, I challenge you to find any manager who doesn't ever get it wrong. Um, and I think, you know, stick by him. Stick by him. And I'm, I'm not saying this is... A, is you know, Stoke fans don't stick by their managers, but stick by him. You'll absolutely sell up the league. I don't think, weakness-wise, I don't think there's anything that stands out as being, oh, that's a big concern. Um, sometimes ostracising the younger players initially. We saw that with Dan Neal, um, Patrick Roberts at the start of this season. Um, sometimes not merely utilising them effectively. That could be one. But even then, I think Danny has looked much better this season because of that. Um, I think Pat Roberts will come back better because of that. Um, and, and that's sort of where we are with that. So I don't think there should be any sort of worry about it being an unfashionable name. It's Alex Neal, you know, it's not a, an abroad manager who plays tiki-taka football, anything like that. I think you should be excited about this, if anything, and that's... Fred, again, so frustrating from our point of view. A lack of backing has been touted as a reason for his departure. How has this approach been in the transfer market? What's his best buy or worst buy been? I think um, whether or not whether or not that's a case is, is quite hard to judge. I think he is, like I said, quite clever in terms of how he utilises the media. Um, has he been backed in this transfer market? I think, I think I alluded to at the start of this. Um, we've spent the fifth most in the league as a newly promoted club. You know, we've we've spent quite a significant amount of money on Jack Clark, Dan Ballard. Um, we've brought in you know young and up and coming players. You know, Jewison and Benete. Um, I think some of them are risky. I think some of them are sensible. Um, I think the sort of hasn't been backed thing might be a case of we've not brought in the experience he wanted 
Um, you know, we, we've signed players that are, are still relatively young. Um, but at the same time, our transfer policy since since Lee Johnson was in charge, really, was sign young, sign sensibly, and, and then sell on if needs be. You know, we've got Dennis Serkin coming through, who I'd imagine quite a lot of upper championship lower Premier League clubs are already looking at. We've got Ross Stewart coming through, who I'm surprised has, to be fair, not gone on to um, bigger things at the moment. Um, and really the only sort of older player we've signed and signed for money is Corey Evans. And he's our club captain. So I wonder if the sort of he hasn't been back thing is Alex Neil wanting slightly older, more experienced players and sort of Sunderland board going, well, actually, we'd rather you do things for a relatively little fee initially and then obviously build on that um, with, um, you know, as, as they get more experience, you can sell them on for a higher value and blah, blah, blah. I think it's sort of going along that sort of Brentford line of um, transfers. Um, we've signed really, really well this summer. I think it's been quite a slow burner. We had quite a few players out of contract. So we signed, you know, Pat Roberts, Bailey Wright, Lyndon Gooch, all under new contracts. Um, we brought in Dan Ballard, um, you know, experience with Millwall, fantastic centre-back. You know, he's, he started the season really, really brightly. Looks like a really fantastic player. Um, you know, my friend's quite um quite a big Arsenal fan. It was quite surprised he wasn't, you know, in and around the squad, but also thought, well, he's probably not gonna get that much of a chance. Um Agilese signed from West Ham, started loads of preseason games. Lots of West Ham fans thought, oh, maybe they'll, you know, play him. He seems quite good, comfortable on the ball. Um and obviously they've brought in a few centre backs since then. Um, he hasn't started a game for us. He seems to very much be one for the future. Um, Alex Bass, second choice keeper. We seem to be going with the um inexperience, I suppose, of Alex Pat um Anthony Patterson. Um, he has started the season fantastically. Some wonderful saves. Um, notably sort of Coventry at home, um, Sheffield United away. Um, seems really really comfortable sort of in the in sort of Pickford mould of through the academy really really good um, Alex Bass has played one game Chef Wednesday away in the cup seemed really quite nervous didn't seem quite that much of a capable deputy so that's one that's sort of slightly concerning to me um, but in terms of wet, uh, best and worst buys um it's uh, I'd go Dan Ballard purely for how we started the season. Um I think Ellis Sims on loan has been an incredible um accompaniment to Ross Stewart up front. I think he looks like a fantastic player. Um especially considering Everton at the moment are struggling for a striker. Um I think it could do a lot worse than him. Um worse signs, I think it just has to be by almost default, Alex Bass. I think lots of fans, you know, when when people sort of say, where do we need to look for the last few weeks of the transfer window? Some people have still said, we need another goalkeeper. Um, whether that's to challenge Patterson or maybe even take his place if he, if he falls out of form. But I don't think there's sort of many people in the fan base who are 
comfortable or confident with the idea of going into a season with Patterson, who, to be fair, has looked fantastic, and I mean fantastic. Um, but then Bass is back up when he could very, very easily, um, you know, come into the team. I spoke to, you know, a Bradford friend of mine who sort of said, pulls off amazing saves, but then does some absolutely baffling things. Um, I wonder how much of the sort of transfers we've made have been Alex Neal signings rather than the board. But again, that's me just speculating based off this sort of current stuff around Stoke and lack of backing, etc, etc. And finally, who do you want in next? Uh, I knew you'd come to this question. Um, from where we are right now, who do I want? I, w- I want Alex Neil. I want Alex Neil to be in charge tomorrow against Norwich. I want Alex Neil to be in charge for the foreseeable future. Um, clearly, this saga has... It, I mean, to be fair, escalated quite quickly. I woke up and saw, <coughs> you know, Alex Neil favourite for Stoke job and, and laughed it off almost as like... Why would he go there? Not again, no disrespect to Stoke, but we've built something quite good here. He seems to have got the players he wanted. He seems to be fairly happy. You know, this is a twelve month rolling contract. Um, which pff, could the board have done more? Probably. I think the Southern fans would very quickly go, Well, what the hell have we done here to have allowed Alex Neal to go to a championship rival? Um and, that, and that, again, that's really frustrating. I know I've said that word enough, but that, that's how it feels. Who do I want in next? Um, Bucky's have got, obviously, Sean Deitch, favourite. Um, Ollie, Solskjaer, next. Deitch, I'd, I'd see the merit in, in terms of keeping us up and getting us results. Whether or not that aligns with the club's philosophy, what we're going for and stuff, I doubt. Um, Oli Solskjaer, well, I mean, he's had a... To be fair, I think in hindsight, people have got looked back in his time at Man U and gone, he wasn't as bad as we made out. Um, and I think that was a quite a hard task to take. Um, would I want him in charge of Sunderland? No, because I don't think he's got that much tactical nous. I think he's, he's sort of... Um, He's he's in the sort of Lampard Gerard, um, sort of model for me, where he's not really done much as a manager, and he keeps getting jobs because of who he was player wise. Um, I think Sean Dyche, uninspirational in terms of football, incredible in terms of ambition results, but I wonder if that's very much the board looking at. Can we get up this season? I think that will be far too soon for us as a club. Do I think he'd accept a lower mid-table team? A lower middle-table team? No. Do I think he'd sign sort of footballers that he's he's been used to at Burnley? Probably not. Um, I think Sean Dyche would be a difficult one. I would quite like us to go for Ryan Manning um, or Russell Martin. I think, you know, quite young up-and-coming managers who play lovely football. Um, results, yeah, kind of iffy in between. 
Um, I mean, the sort of dream would be sort of Marcelo Bielsa, um, maybe Claudio Ranieri, sort of ilk, um, which obviously might get quite a few laughs from your sort of viewers. But you know, he he took on a Leeds United team who were very much sleeping in the championship, sleeping their way to the bottom half of the championship. Blah blah blah. Galvanized them, brought in some fantastic young players, got them playing some wonderful football. And I think if he if he was astounded by the size of Leeds, um, I think he'd sort of absolutely love the chance at Sunderland. Whether we could sort of tempt him into coming back, I I doubt if I'll be honest. Um, Claudio Ranieri again, uh, would he do well? Who knows? A bit of an unknown quantity in terms of the championship. Um, Watford basically didn't give him the time of day. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't think we'd have to decide this early in the season who would want as a new manager. Um, again, Big Sam's been touted, but he's not going to come back. Um, and it seems just such a such a, a different road to go down with sort of Sean Dyche um, as, as the board seem to have been going for. Um, so, yeah, hopefully... By the time this podcast comes out, Alex Neal's signed a new five-year contract and he's, you know, been backed by some new £10 million strikers. But I would expect him to be at the Blackburn game tomorrow rather than the Norwich game with us. And I'll be completely honest, I'd expect him to get an absolutely horrendous reception when he comes to the stadium light later this year. So, yeah, that's the state of play. And that's it for the Wizards of Drivel podcast today. Thank you, Tom, for joining me in the first half. And thank you to Alex for giving us his thoughts on Alex Neal during the second half. So, yeah, go well, Stokies. All the best. Up the pause. <laughs>